2: I tell, you know, people from time to time that I long for a day where some of my, my, my white friends are able to kind of reconnect with their ethnic identity, the ethnic identity that got washed away, that, you know, at some point in the past and ancestors there's likely had to forfeit in order to be brought into the fold, into this kind of political class of of whiteness.
1: From Christianity Today, this is Viral Jesus a show about communication and the power of social connections, where we talk to some of the most influential Christian content creators to find out how they've made their faith go viral. Everyone I talk to on this show is someone I follow or was told to follow online. Most of the conversations you'll hear are with people I have never met in person, yet they've impacted how I think. What does it look like? For Christians to enter the chat thoughtfully. Let's grow together on viral Jesus. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day, Happy September, friend. I hope you are like pumpkin spiced out. I hope you are ready to go for fall. We are starting a pod class today. Woohoo, It's pod class time. We are going to be in the same Pod class for the next three weeks. And this is the one. So I was going to run this for you in summer. And then we decided to wait and to do it in fall. And it's so funny because several of you messaged me over the summer and were like, wait, <laughs> um, what happened to the Disrupting American Gods pod class? Where did that go? Where is my pod class? Friend, I am so sorry that we waited, but also thank you for being patient. And I'm telling you, this pod class is absolutely worth the wait. We are going to do a deep dive conversation today on race in a way that I think only a show like Viral Jesus can. We're going to sit down with, he's actually my real life friend, Garrison Hayes, who has been dubbed the TikTok professor, his video on how white people became white people has over 2 million views. And so I asked him if he would sit down with us and talk about that video and other things that he discusses on his TikTok channel. He has over, I think, 300,000 followers on TikTok. He gets hired by organizations to raise awareness, you know, on a variety of different issues. I asked him if he would come on the pod and do a conversation, disrupting conversations on race, disrupting conversations on whiteness. And what you will learn in my conversation with Garrison will honestly blow your mind. I mean, maybe it's just me. I had no idea. I had no idea that white people were not white until the middle of the 1600s. And if you don't understand why whiteness was created, you may not understand why so many people are pushing back against the idea of whiteness. So you are going to want to take notes on this conversation. You may even want to watch his TikTok on whiteness. It's going to be linked in the show notes. It's only 90 seconds before you listen to my conversation with Garrison. But before we get to that more intense conversation, do you mind... Do you mind if we can just like, I don't know, slow things down a bit? (laughs) Can we just slow this thing down? Let's go into my living room. I'm going to make you a cup of chai and you can sit on my couch and have a conversation in a safe space with my bestie and I, Scarlett Longstreet. I sent Scarlett this TikTok. Actually, I sent her the... Quote tweet. It's not a tweet anymore. Formerly known as Twitter, whatever that app is. X. <laughs> I sent Scarlett a sub X that Matt Walsh, who's kind of like a right wing political commentator, did about this girl named Julia Mazer. Now, Julia Mazer is somebody who has a podcast and she made this TikTok of her talking about her Saturday plans, which involved watching reality TV. And learning how to make some new recipe. And so she creates this TikTok and says she's a single woman. I think she says she's 29. And because she has no kids or a husband to disturb her, she's like, here's what my Saturday looks like. And she lists these things. Now, I want to read what Matt Walsh sub-tweeted or x her. He says this, Her life doesn't revolve around her family and kids. So instead, it revolves around TV shows and pop stars. Worst of all, she's too stupid to realize how depressing this is. So he quotes this video of her. This girl, Julia Mazur, has like 7,000 followers on TikTok, which I think is important to note. She has no idea that somebody like Matt Walsh, I don't know how many thousands and thousands and thousands of followers he has, but is going to put her out in front of all of his people. And she ends up getting like death threats and people yelling at her, calling her names all because she was essentially, I think just talking about how, Hey, you don't have to be miserable ladies If you don't have a family and here's what a Saturday looks like for me that I wouldn't be able to do if I had a family. Okay. I wanted to talk to you, Scarlett, to get your feedback. What do you think it is about somebody just simply talking about a woman talking about not having kids and being single that would make the internet get so, why are they so angry about a woman saying I'm single and my life is not miserable? I think it's control.
3: Mm. I think that, we control women with motherhood. We control women with marriage. Marriage has been used, I mean, historically as a tool of oppression. I think that, you know, we're beginning to carve out uh, new ideas and reimagining it and what it can look like. But in many ways, I think it's fear and it's control. And if women don't want to get married, if women are fulfilled by things other than children and the role of being a wife, where does that leave men? Where does that leave Mm. more of those conservative ideals?
1: So I kept seeing this TikTok of Julia Mazur on my feed and I didn't watch the video. I just want to play the sound. But I kept seeing it come up. And so when I finally
3: watched it, I was expecting, did you watch the video? I didn't. But as you described it, I love to see it. I, as a mother and a wife, you go girl, you live that life. I can tell you if there's one thing that being a mother and a wife has really solidified for me, it's people's choice to be childless. It's people's choice Mm. not to enter into a marital contract because those things bring me a lot of fulfillment, but they didn't fulfill me completely. They don't bring me total contentment. Mm. I mean, and also these people's choices don't need to be validated by married people and parents. They don't need our validation to justify their life choices. They're equally wonderful in my opinion, but I'd love to hear your thoughts.
1: No, I totally agree with you. So I thought when I played that video, I thought she must've said something really demeaning towards like moms. I thought surely she had attacked marriage and the institution. And literally she just talks about watching TV and she's like, hey, if I had kids, I couldn't do this. So I was really taken aback to see even Mark Cuban responded to this woman who has like 7,000 followers on TikTok. I think she's at like 13,000 now, of course, after this whole debacle. And apparently the backdrop of this, if you guys saw it, the backdrop is she literally creates content to encourage single women that they are able to love their lives to, and that you don't have to have a family in order to be a full person. And so, I don't know. I just wanted to bring that up on Safe Space, see what you guys thought. What were your, did you watch it? Let us know your reactions to it. You can hit up Scarlett at Scarlett Longstreet on Instagram or me, Heather Thompson Day on Instagram. It'll always be a safe space. All right, you know the drill. This is not your first pod class by now. We learn best in community. So pause this episode, share it with a friend, let them know, hey, friend, I'm doing a pod class right now on Viral Jesus and would love to discuss each one of these sessions with you throughout the week. If you enjoy the podcast, please make sure to review and rate us on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. That is how we get recommended by the the podcast platforms themselves to other people. Our guest today is Garrison Hayes. Garrison produces innovative short documentaries to his 300,000 follower community, especially on TikTok. He also has a massive Instagram presence with over 100,000 followers there, and he explores the hidden or forgotten corners of Black history, faith, and politics, and also his love for books. I have known Garrison for over seven years. He's a personal friend of mine. He's a wonderful Christian. And he's honestly also, he did his degree in film. He's a very talented filmmaker who has trained himself on how to use that gifting on social media. So are you ready? Are you ready? Because class is in session. Here is our pod class number one on disrupting American gods. I am so excited about our conversation today. I get to talk to Garrison Hayes. And Garrison, I love opening these by going through people's social media posts. So I will say, with you, you are probably one of the very few people that I sit down with on this show that I actually also know in person. Um, So I'm biased, of course, as I go through all your stuff. I could have picked so many different videos because you create excellent content. But here's the one I found really thought-provoking because I think it's, I I guarantee you there are people listening right now that are going to lean the way of the woman who said this to you. So somebody essentially said to you, it's fine because racism is going to die off. And you made a video responding to her essentially saying no. Can you tell us about what your response was and why you think racism is just going to keep morphing? And finding different ways to stay alive generation to generation.
2: Well, first of all, thank you. You said a lot of really, really nice things. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thank you so much. And of course, I'm very happy to be here and talking to you. Um, okay, so I, I did. I met a lady um, Very, very kind, well-meaning lady on a plane a few months ago, and we were having a great conversation.
1: Okay, wait. When you get on planes, do you talk to the people that sit next to you? Are you a talker?
2: Typically, I don't. Typically, okay. I don't. I'll be honest. Typically, I'm like headphones on. Yeah, me too. You know, <laughs> face mask. I'm like completely... <laughs> Incognito, like I just <laughs> am completely shut off from the world. I have some of my best thoughts Me with too. myself on the plane, so I don't like to. I, I I don't want to interrupt that time. You know what I mean? Garrison,
1: I feel the same way. It's almost like a meditation experience for me. I really sit and think and talk to God on planes.
2: Absolutely. No Wi-Fi, like no tech in-flight text messaging. Just let me just be me and God and enjoy.
1: Have you had anybody recognize you yet in an airport? Has that happened?
2: I have. That has happened. Isn't Um, that
1: weird? This just started happening to me. And I'm like, that is like, to me, really odd.
2: Yeah, it's odd. But you know what? I don't want it to stop. Like, if you all see me... (laughs) (laughs) say something. It it moves these conversations that we're having online into Mm. the real world, like really, really a beautiful experience. And so this lady didn't know who I was or what kind of content I made. Um, But we just got on the topic of the world and things that were going on in it and the headlines. And uh, somehow the conversation, as it does, ended up uh, landing on racism. And she made this really interesting comment that she really believes that um, you know, older generations are just going to have to kind of die off. And that mm. is what will solve our racism problem in America. And I think that's a quaint idea. I think it's a nice idea, as nice as thinking about people dying can be, but like as, right. a, as an idea... <laughs> You know, we don't have to do anything, we don't have to right. make any changes or even think about the world in a different way. We can just allow the old kind of outdated antiquated ideas to just die off. And we really don't see that happening anywhere else in our in our world. You know, Nazism doesn't just die off. Exactly. We go to war over that, right? Right. When we are it, slavery doesn't just die off. Right. We went to war over it. Right. Right. We ended up, you know, really taking intentional steps to eradicate it. And so what I talk about in the video that you're referring to is this idea that the ideas, racist ideas really morph and change over time. Um, They move from. At least in in the most recent history, we've seen the move from like explicitly racist to more implicit racism, structural and institutional racism, ways that are far more palatable. Uh, For example, in let's say the 20s and 30s, we saw explicit segregation in our school system. Right. It was like black kids can't go to school with white kids and native kids have to go to their own schools and Latino kids have to go to their own Mm -hmm. schools. Right. It's just explicit segregation. And, and, and we ended up saying, hey, wait, segregation is uh, unconstitutional and unethical and that's wrong in an explicit sense. But if you look at the data. Our country is still incredibly segregated, right, because we didn't take the intentional mm-hmm. steps to actually do integration. Uh, we created independent schools and private schools for white kids to go yep. to. And we mm-hmm. um, started to zone schools by communities and, and segregate yep. those communities. And so it doesn't explicitly say, oh, black kids can only go to school with black kids, but, but in states like New Jersey, um, you are far more likely to go to school with a person who looks like you than with people who don't look like you. And so that's kind of the long version of it. But uh, the idea is really that over time, these explicitly racist ideas become much more palatable and they change shape and change the way we talk about them. We don't say the N word we just say woke, and other ways in which we're completely comfortable with kind of the same effects and the same ends, but we're going about them in a way that's a little bit more, I'd say, politically correct.
1: When you talk about racism, is there a particular definition that you prefer to use? How do you define that term when you're talking
3: to people?
2: Yeah, I think there are two really important components to racism. There's the interpersonal component, which is like, I don't like you because you are different from me. Uh, it's the feeling of superiority um, mm-hmm. because of difference. Uh, maybe I think I am superior or, or someone else is inferior, or maybe I think I'm inferior and another group is superior. That's kind of the basic interpersonal, individual level racism that I think most of us are familiar with and the thing that comes to mind for most people when we talk about racism. But mm-hmm. most recently, Miriam webster actually actually added in 2020 an additional component to racism, which has always been there, but we haven't always acknowledged it as explicitly outside of, say, academia, which is the idea of systems that are designed, Mm. institutions that are designed to advantage or disadvantage certain groups. Um, Examples abound, but uh, I, I just talked about our education system If you are a white student, your schools are very likely better funded than if you are a black student. Some people say, oh, well, what about taxes and all that stuff? Well, those systems were actually designed to disadvantage certain groups and advantage other groups. And so, sure, we can kind of take the visible hand of explicit racism off of it. But that invisible hand of institutions and systemic racism is still present there. We can talk about that in housing. We talk about that in our carceral system, the way communities are policed. There are so many areas in our country and even in our world where there is this invisible hand creating um, inequity and inequality um, that doesn't explicitly have to call me an N word, right? In order for it to work in the same way that racist systems have worked for generations.
1: And I know, so this series that we're in right now is a pod class called "Disrupting American Gods" and. I already know I'm probably going to get some comments and emails of people saying, that's not like, an racism is not an American God. That's not an American value. And actually, that's why I wanted you to define it. Because I would say that that idea of superiority has always been deeply a part of American culture. And also that that's why it's very difficult to get rid of is because that, I mean, you could read that in the Bible. Like that that type of mentality I am better than somebody of a different cultural background or ethnicity or language, whatever, has been here as long as people have have been here, right? And so, it it takes so much work really on the part of the person in power to try to get rid of it that that's why I think it becomes so difficult to fight. I don't know. What are your thoughts? How how do we start disrupting that American God of superiority?
2: I love the idea of disruption. I love that you're using that word. I think the word of God, the Bible, is full of disruption. Preach! It is a book of disruption, Mm. specifically disrupting our status quo, Mm. disrupting oppression, disrupting inequities. One of my favorite ideas in the bible what some people would call a command it's in the uh, 10 commandments i love it it's one of my favorite ideas i think it's the most radical idea in scripture and i'll tell you what it is it's the sabbath i think the sabbath is a profoundly powerful idea You will recall in Exodus chapter 20, the Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God, right? It's this idea, this invitation to rest. Um, And you're thinking about who receives this commandment. It's Moses. It's, it's, It's really directed toward men, right? Like you shall rest. But there's this subtle disruption that's happening in the text, right? It says you receive rest. And your son receives rest. Well, that's obvious, right? Two men, um, uh, the father, the son. Of course, they receive rest. But then it goes on to say, your daughter receives rest. That's mm-hmm, a really mm-hmm. beautiful disruption of our ideas of superiority. Um, men being uh, believing themselves to be better than women. It says your mm-hmm. manservant. Now that's a class level. Mm-hmm. The, on a class level, your manservant receives rest, and then it says your maid servant or your female servant receives rest, that's another disruption of our ideas Mm -hmm. of status quo and who is deserving of the best things in this world. It goes on to say the cattle and even the stranger who is within your gates. Um, So it goes from the most privileged person in a community to the least privileged person in a community Mm. on the Sabbath, all receive rest. Um, Bible writers go on to expand on this idea with the year of Jubilee every seventh Sabbath, every 50 years. Um, And and really the point that I'm trying to make is this idea that what the word of God is calling us to do is to examine our systems to examine the Mm -hmm. ways in which our societies are organized to benefit some people and to disadvantage other people, the rights that we extend to some that we don't extend to others. And to completely decimate, to, to, to actively work against those uh, hierarchies, I think that's what we all have to do. We're all called to do that. I've learned this lesson. You know, I know a lot about racism and the history of race. But to be honest with you, Heather, I learned so much about sexism and about the, the mm. forces of uh, inequity and hierarchy among men and women From my wife, let me tell you, she will tell me, Mm. she will tell me what's going on in the world and she'll tell me about my privileges as a man. I've learned so much about the ways in which we are heteronormative, the ways in which we actively Mm. discriminate against LGBTQ people who are made in the image of God from my friends in those communities. They, they're, they're more than willing to graciously share with me uh, my privileges. And so what I would say, you know, to, to, to those who say hey america isn't racist or america isn't you know built on hierarchies i think the world is built on hierarchies you yeah. know i think it's it's there's yeah. so many ways in which we that we need to actively disrupt the hierarchies and the superiority complexes that, that we that we walk around with and so um you know white people aren't special in that way right like we're not picking on you right like right. my mom my 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 wife they they they're not picking on me when they talk about m- my privileges as a male as a man and and so Uh, Just kind of adopting an attitude of humility and a willingness to disrupt that status quo, I think, is really, really important.
0: This episode is brought to you in part by World Relief, an organization that partners with the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Around the world, increased conflict, the lingering effects of COVID-19 and disasters caused by our changing climate have left millions of people in desperate situations. Many are fleeing their homes and are facing starvation, persecution, and more. These overwhelming challenges cause many of us to wonder, can I make a difference? The answer is simple. Yes, you can. When you join The Path, World Relief's monthly giving community, you partner with World Relief in bringing hope and transformation to the millions experiencing vulnerability around the world and When you partner with your monthly gift by September 30th, your first year of monthly gifts will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000. Double the impact of your giving and visit worldrelief.org slash viraljesus today.
1: I read an article that called you TikTok's unofficial professor of forgotten Black history. Talk to me about how this channel started for you. How did you? Because you were a pastor.
0: That's true. Am I? Am I? <laughs> am I
1: making that up? Is that not a former life of yours? You were a pastor, and now you're making all of this. In, I mean, honestly, I think what's. Let me just say this: you aren't just having um, excellent content as far as ideas, which is absolutely true. A plus. Also like your videography, your editing, just all around Garrison, well-packaged, excellent content that you're creating. How did you get into this?
2: Again, you are being way too kind. I I, I need to just go back and listen to every episode to make sure you're being this kind <laughs> to other people. i
1: told you special privileges i've known you yeah i know
2: i know i know i know i know i'm gonna i'm just gonna like live in this privilege these the next few minutes here are gonna kind of make my life okay so i've been making internet videos for a very long time specifically I, i started out on youtube in 2006 and whoa
1: i didn't know that crazy
2: I was a OG on YouTube. I was one of, I mean, you know, I don't know. I think that I was one of the first people in the partnership program, which was like what they called it when you could start getting paid for making videos. Oh, wow. So that was really cool. And I think it set me on a specific trajectory in my life. I ended up going off to film school and learning a bunch of stuff about videography and cameras and lighting and all of that stuff and the editing um, and set my YouTube channel to the side for many, many years. Um, but you know what it was, I, while I was in film school, I felt the call of God on my life to serve as, uh, as a minister. And I served as a pastor for a time, but you know, what really reintroduced me to, to this kind of idea of Mm -hmm. content creation was really the pandemic. You know, we're all like, we're all inside Mm -hmm. and I'm kind of talking to my church through a camera again. And of course, summer 2020 was this, really, really important moment for our country and our community around what people have deemed a racial reckoning. You know, a lot of people were talking about and thinking about racism for the very first time that summer. And what I felt was missing from the conversation. I thought there were a lot of people saying a lot of really great things, but I felt that there was a history component missing. And I'm not a historian, but I do love history. I love it. Mm -hmm. And I felt like some of the history Mm -hmm. that brings us to this moment and helps us better understand where we are today was just missing from the conversation. And so I picked up my phone and started sharing videos on TikTok about that history that I really believed, you know, was important for this moment. You know, for me, I like to look at the past so we can better understand the present and and hopefully build a better future. And so that's what brought me back into yeah. content creation It's just a desire to kind of really provide value, provide a little bit of a a better historical understanding of where we are and and how we got here.
1: I asked you for one of your videos. You did a video on the history of whiteness. And I said, can you send me the original file? Because I've actually included it now in presentations that I give and shout you out when I talk about um, race. But on a podcast like Disrupting American Gods, can you tell us, as the unofficial professor of Black history, can you tell us about the history of whiteness? What If somebody goes to your TikTok or Instagram and watches that video, what are you teaching people?
2: Yeah, so this really started from a place of curiosity for me, which is this question of, you know, how did white people become white people? I, I find mm-hmm. that most white people actually have no idea how they came to identify as white, said differently, this concept of whiteness often goes unexamined in society,
0: mm.
2: unexamined in one's own life. And the impacts of this, uh, at some point, your grandfather or great-great-grandfather or grandmother or great-great-great-great-grandmother right, adopted this uh, yeah. racial identity. And we live kind of in a society where it's so normal, it's kind of seen Mm -hmm. as the norm to be white, that many white people don't even see themselves as a specific race. They don't kind of carry a racial identity. But as a Black person, surprise, surprise, maybe you're just listening to this. I'm Black, Um, (laughs) (laughs) y'all. As a Black person, I'm very aware of my racial identity. And I'm also very aware of the history of how I went from being probably Mm -hmm. Igbo or Nigerian in some way or Asante or Ghanaian in some way, right? How I went from having that tribal or ethnic, you know, local identity to this more global identity of Black. And so it really kind of started with a curiosity around that. And 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 I, and I believe that, you know, because many white people don't know this history, they often kind of fundamentally understand the push, um, in the critique against whiteness and white supremacy. And so I kind of want to set the stage that way, because I think it's important to kind of understand that context as to how we got here. But the truth is white people, in quotes, this kind of concept of white, a white person didn't exist before the middle of the 17th century, as in like the middle of the 1600s. Um, And and if your mind kind of immediately went to the year 1619, which has been a really important conversation, if that's where your mind went, then I think you're on to something really to as you're thinking about, man, middle of the 1600, 1600s, like, like people are starting to develop uh, what we understand to be the transatlantic slave trade. The idea of slavery mm-hmm, as we understand mm-hmm. it today is really being formalized. I want to be clear that slavery has existed for a very, very long time. But the things right. that we understand about slavery today were relatively new inventions at the time, which is this idea that. You are enslaved because you're, you're you're a slave because you're Black, because of the color of your skin. That's what determines whether or not you are a slave. This idea begins to crystallize in the 1700s through things called Black codes. And and, and really what we see is this this pan-European racial identity coming together and being formed where Blackness is bad and whiteness is good. Now, this is a great time to talk a little bit about the church because these ideas are completely wrapped up in religion and our understanding of faith mm. and and in the church. You know, they're they're really wrapped up in that. And so what I'll say is, you know, there are so many little details. There's so many incredible uh, little stories that help pull the, this picture together, and Princeton uh, history professor Dr. Nell Irvin Painter. She wrote a book called um, "The History of White People," which is very appropriately named, um, and I really recommend it. It's 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 academic, but it's also accessible. You can you can certainly work your way through it. She cites her sources and does a phenomenal job pulling together this history in a way that I think is worthy of the Ivy League uh, tag that she carries, but also accessible for everyday uh, readers. And so I, I would really highly recommend that as further reading on this topic. But to kind mm-hmm. of summarize, white identity was was cobbled together. Before people identified as white, they identified as Englishmen, as Dutch, as Germans. as They, they had a different identity that was often centered on their nationality. I tell, um, you know, people from time to time that I long for a day where some of my, my my white friends are able to kind of reconnect with their ethnic identity, the ethnic identity that got washed away, that, you know, at some point in the past mm. and ancestors there's likely had to forfeit in order to be brought into the fold, into this kind of political class of, of whiteness. Um, I, I have so much to say here, but I'll, I'll say this. I'll try to wrap up No, I'm, I just and, want you to know,
1: say. I am loving everything. This is, to me, this okay. is super fascinating. And I think I represent our listeners. At least right now I do. So keep going. <laughs> we, are, we are listening. Okay. Teach us.
0: Okay.
2: Okay. 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 Um, you know, many people can trace their family history back to Ellis Island um, right, you know right. as immigrants came over from Ireland and and Poland and these places they can trace that ethnic uh, history back there to, to a place where they kind of entered into this country to chase the, the American dream uh, really really beautiful and, and and incredible stories that I've heard from from white friends and family who say yeah that's where I trace my ancestry that's awesome but you'll likely you know be able to kind of recall that these groups were at one time not considered white. Mm. The Irish people were right. seriously discriminated against in this country because they were not yet invited into this fold of whiteness. I, I think this is something that's really commonly known, which is really a beautiful thing that people know this, that, yeah, like Irish people were treated really, really poorly in New York. Polish people were not treated well. You know, there were signs that were like, you know, anti-Semitism, no no Jewish people, no Irish, right? Like that was a really, really common mm-hmm, thing because mm-hmm. those groups had not yet been um, invited into what I identify as kind of a political identity ofness um that is really centered around a specific kind of power. And so I, I share that bit to kind of help us to hopefully have a touch point to say, okay, that's true. Whiteness is kind of a conglomerate and it's ever-changing who's invited into whiteness is Mm. often changing throughout history um and that's because it's a relatively new invention and we're still working out all of the kinks and and figuring out who's allowed to be white and who isn't allowed to be white Um, there are stories of i believe japanese immigrants suing the federal government and saying hey like i should be able to be included in the political class of whiteness and this identity right. of whiteness. Look at my skin. It's lighter than these white, these people who are considered white. And so um, it really is kind of a, a hodgepodge right. of identities being brought together. But often what we see is that in the process, you know, some of the the Irish that I've mentioned or the, the Polish people that I've mentioned, oftentimes they lose a component or Italian people, you know, it's a lot of questions around whether or not Italian people are white or considered white. But 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 in the process, they often right. lose touch with some of the beauty of that ethnic identity to be invited into this kind of quote unquote melting pot of whiteness.
1: What has been challenging for you as you talk through these ideas in such a public way? Has there been backlash for you, or or has there not been?
2: Of course, there's been backlash. Okay, (laughs) yeah.
1: Well, racism's getting eradicated with Gen Z, right? They're on TikTok. Are they leaving you bad
3: comments? You know,
2: and that's the thing. I think, I think point in case (laughs) that you know, there's an entirely new generation that has learned to identify accurate Black history, accurate and truthful portrayals of history. They've learned to identify that as. Woke, yeah, and this term "woke" is is really mm. just kind of a the the next evolution of some other really really bad words that we've used throughout history. Words that I won't repeat here, but I'm I'm pretty sure you know exactly what I mean. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, when mm-hmm. we identify these things as essentially um, the kind of you know opinions, perspectives, history that deserves to be ignored and denigrated and demeaned. There's an entire generation of, of young people, Gen Z and below, who have been indoctrinated to, to kind of kick against the history that often I share. And I do so as, as much as possible right. while citing sources and, and, and pointing people to resources where they can learn more. Um, and so I do get pushback to answer your question simply. I've noticed that it's often from older people. And so that's a little bit of hope in Gen Z, you know, but.
1: But then we have a Kyle Rittenhouse, right? So it's like, we know that it's not stopping. I will say, I think, at at least with the research that, well, the Gen Z is going to be the first generation to be predominantly non-white by, I think, 2026. Um, so we are seeing shifts, but I I do think, yeah, things are just going to keep morphing. I wanted to say to you too, something I've noticed that you do that's different is you often will not just post a video. You also recommend documentaries or like a reading list. What what is something for somebody who's listening right now that wants to learn more? What would you recommend that they go by right after they get off this podcast?
2: yeah I really enjoyed uh, Clint Smith's book. Um, mm. he he wrote a really phenomenal history book, How the Word is passed. I think yeah. it's it's amazing. It's somewhere here in my house. i I should have thought of this before. Um, oh no, it's right there. it's on my it's on my little shelf right behind me. And next to it is the sixteen nineteen Project, which is a group of essays from scholars and journalists about the history of race in America that I think is really, really good. On the topic of the 1619 Project, there's a phenomenal docu-series on Hulu by that same name that I highly recommend people watch. And, you know, you may have heard things about the 1619 Project. You've likely been told that, you know, it has little to no value. I'd encourage you to check it out for yourself. And so the docu-series, several episodes. Okay. It is made with the level of care that I just, I think is absolutely phenomenal. The last book that I will recommend is uh, Cast. I was going
1: to by- ask if you read Cast. <laughs> I, that book really was, I think it would have been in 2020 probably that I read that book. Yeah. And it was incredibly eye-opening, but please yeah. finish. Finish your plug for it. No, Tell them why they need not listen to it.
2: No, your your plug is, is just as good as mine. I think it is one of the best written books on this topic to give a quick preview It examines three caste systems, Um, the caste system in India that we're probably most familiar with under that term, caste, C-A-S-T-E, the caste system that was created in Germany uh, during Nazi Germany, and the American caste system, which is based on skin color and race. But this language, what it does, I think, is it actually bypasses some of the preconceived ideas that we have about race and about the way race works in America and utilizes language that is somewhat foreign, easy to grasp, but it utilizes a a different set of vocabulary Mm -hmm. that I think opens us to kind of some realizations about the way racial hierarchy works in the world, but specifically in America, in Germany, and in India. Incredible parallels between the three. And it's my number one recommended book. I recommend it all the time. Can I give one more?
1: Yeah, please.
2: This is, this is what I do. I, I say, oh, I'm just going to give one yeah. recommendation. <laughs> Let's keep it focused. I'm just going to give one. No, no, no. Here I am at my fourth <laughs> recommendation. I recommend The Sum of Us by Heather McGee. Um, okay,
1: I've not heard that really one.
2: Really amazing book that really highlights the way racism is bad for everyone. I made a video about mm-hmm. this, but uh, and I won't go into too many details, but there is history around absolutely racist people back in the 1800s saying, listen, slavery is actually terrible for this country. It's messing us up. We got to do something different, right? And what Heather does is pulls together this incredible history, as well as uh, looking at economic data to to demonstrate the ways in which society would be better for everyone if we Mm -hmm. weren't committed to a zero-sum thinking around race, that if it's good for, you know, Black people, it's bad for white people or it's good for Latino immigrants. It's it's bad for black, you know, uh, lower class right. people. And so by removing this zero sum thinking, it opens the world to it opens uh, you know, this country to some incredible things. And so I really highly recommend that one as well. Those are my recommendations cast um, by Isabel Wilkerson, The Some of Us by Heather McGee. 1619 Project by uh, Nicole Hannah Jones and the um, How the Word is Passed by Clint Smith.
1: I asked Clint to come on the podcast, and I believe he said to circle back. So now that you just mentioned his name again, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask him to come join us. Garrison Hayes is a former passer turned TikToker who has created hundreds of videos covering forgotten black history. He has over 322,000 followers on TikTok. He's just built this massive presence. And I highly recommend you start following his Instagram, TikTok, and apparently YouTube. Is there YouTube as well? They just type your name, Garrison Hayes? Yeah. If you
2: type my name, Garrison Hayes, you'll see me on- And I'll put it in
1: the show notes, but Hayes is H-A-Y-E-S. So I want to make sure Thank that you. you guys know that. Okay, Gary said my tagline yeah. this season for Viral Jesus is to encourage people to enter the chat. In a time when social media has so many negatives around it, at Viral Jesus, we want to encourage people to take ownership of how they are communicating their faith, whether online or offline. I want to ask you, how do you choose to be a redemptive voice in the online space?
2: Oh man, I think that's an amazing. You know, I, I think we are all capable of of helping to build the world that we want to live in. I think mm. God has placed a powerful hope inside of humanity that is really, really hard to quench. It's hard to put out it to extinguish. And, and, and so for me, I, I just want to maintain that, that hope and maintain that feeling that things can be better and will be better and, and be a part of that. And so that, that's my answer to your question.
1: I just want to say, too, I think that is evidence of the Holy Spirit living in you, that you feel like hope is hard to quench. I, I think a lot of people feel like hope is dying. So I am really mm. intrigued by your connection to the spirit that when you look out, you see hope. That just, I think, I just want people listening to know that tells us a lot about who Garrison is and what his connection with God is like. So thank you so much for spending time with us today. What an honor.
2: Honor's mine. Thank you, Heather.
1: So what did we learn from Session 1 of our podcast on Disrupting American Gods with Garrison Hayes? Number one, Garrison says racism is not just going to die off. We are not going to be able to just wait this out. We are going to have to go to war with it. And that means taking intentional steps to eradicate it. Number two, Garrison says racism morphs over time. It has moved from explicit racism to more implicit racism. While we are no longer, for example, making laws saying races have to be segregated in education. We are still living incredibly segregated lives. We may not say black kids can't go to white schools, but school zoning by neighborhoods keeps that a reality. Number three, Garrison says that as a Black person, he is very aware of his racial identity and the heritage that led him to being known as Black, but that on average, white people are not aware of how they historically became white. And if you don't know the context of where whiteness comes from, of course, you may be offended by people pushing back against whiteness itself. Knowing our history helps us create a better future. Viral Jesus was brought to you by Christianity today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson Day, producer and audio engineer Lauren Joseph and executive producer Ed Gilbreth. Please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Next week, we are going to enter session two of our podcast. We will disrupt the American God of politics when we sit down with the author of the ballot and the Bible. Caitlin Schess. I'll see you next week for another conversation where a Viral Jesus guest talks and you and I listen so we can learn. I love growing with you on Viral Jesus.
0: This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast.